Well, we're turning in our Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read from the verse 8 through to the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read from the verse 8 and through to the end of the chapter. We're coming back to our series, back to the beginning. And uh, we've, we've almost started a mini-series, I suppose, in chapter 2, uh, First Things First. And this is the third of the First Things First that we're going to consider today. The First Covenant is what we're going to consider as we think of these First Things First. And let's read from the verse 8, and we'll just read through to the end of the chapter. And this is the word of the Lord. We read here, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is, it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is bedellium and oxen stone, onyx stone, not oxen stone, onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gion, the same is that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it, or to work it, and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living, cre- called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. 
We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts today. Over the last number of weeks, we have spent time in Genesis chapter 2. And we've considered a number of different firsts that we find in the chapter. We, we've thought of the, the first Sabbath, and we have thought of, thought of the first home. You know, when I was thinking about it, really, on what we covered last Lord's Day, we could have really entitled it the first man. And we were thinking about the first man last Lord's Day as well. But we considered the home in which God planted him briefly. And we'll consider a bit more detail about that home this morning as we think of this first covenant that we find in Scripture. And a couple of weeks ago we began to consider, uh, and we took, first of all, we thought about the first Sabbath. Uh, that writing's quite small, but we traced this first creation ordinance right through Scripture, saw how it is translated, it was translated into the lives of the, of the Israelites, and we considered how the f- Sabbath was observed by New Te- the New Testament church on a Sunday, the first day of the week, the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. And the disciples came together in the New Testament church for three purposes, for fellowship, for teaching from God's word, and to break bread together. Last week we considered uh, the first home, or the first man, and we thought about how God formed man uh, from the dust of the ground. And we remembered that man is material, we're just dust. And dust is common, it's ordinary, it's nothing special. And it communicates to you and and to me, even as a metaphor, it speaks of our weakness and our frailty as human beings. We reminded ourselves last Lord's Day of that verse in Psalm 103 in verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God remembers that you are dust. God knows that you are frail. God remembers you're weak. God remembers that you are material. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your abilities and your lack of them. And in, and in humility, we should remember the words of our Savior in John chapter 10, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, For without me, ye can do nothing. We're material. But last week we also thought about how we're, man is spiritual. Of course, we read in those words in verse 7, the Lord God, for, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And then there's this lovely uh, part which speaks of our spiritual being and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul made in the image and likeness of God. We're a creature of e- extraordinary destiny. And so fundamentally different from a rat or a dog, able to understand and acknowledge and relate to the, the, the God Almighty who we've been introduced to in Scripture, able to live and to cultivate the world that God has placed us in for our enjoyment, for our creativity, for our discovery, for our usefulness. The Bible says that you are unique that you're a special work of God. He formed you and he made you like him. You're unique as an image of God and unique in being given the responsibility and command to fill and to subdue the earth. And as human beings, we are unique in being able to have a relationship with the eternal God. God walked 
and had fellowship with Adam and Eve in that garden. God didn't have a relationship with the fish in the sea or the elephants or the crocodile. It was human beings that he breathed his spirit into. A man became a living soul. Now today we come to consider this first covenant, the third of the firsts that we find in this chapter 2 of Genesis. Of course that covenant is found in verses 16 and 17 where we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Really, in order to understand this covenant which was given, we need to consider all that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. We very quickly see that we have a God who provides for us abundantly. In the ancient world, the garden was the pride and joy of the ancient kings. You think of the hanging gardens of Babylon, walled, secured, amazing to behold. They were like paradise. That's where the word paradise comes from. It's a Greek word to describe these ancient, magnificent Persian gardens. They they were paradise. They were places of splendor, places of intimacy, where the king would invite only his most special guests to come and to spend time in his beautiful paradise with him. They were wonderful things. And yet here in Genesis chapter 2, we have the original garden. And it's unsurpassed by anything that comes after it. Here we have in Genesis chapter 2, the creator's garden. And what these verses are trying to do is to help us grasp how how this was a beautiful place, beauty beyond our comprehension, how it was full of provision for the man that God placed in it. God made provision for mankind and in a special way he crafted us in an intimate way and then he provides for the man and the woman with absolute abundance. Notice first of all that God provides a place for humanity. He provides a place for humanity. Look at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. That fruitful garden made for humanity, Eden, the garden of Eden, meaning the place of delight. That's what Eden means, delight. This garden of Eden was a garden of delights, a supreme garden full of glorious delights for them to enjoy. Think of those ancient gardens in the ancient world. They were made for the king himself. They were for his personal use. But scripture records here in Genesis chapter 2 that the king of kings, he makes the best of gardens, but not for himself but puts the man and woman that he created in it. We're told in verse 8 that he put him. It says, and there he put the man. He, he put them in this special place. I wonder if you ever considered that God has put you in green. That God has put you exactly where he wants you. That God has put you in this part of time, in this part of history, for his purpose. 
God has a purpose for your life. Just as God had a purpose for Adam and Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden, so God has put you here in this country. Where you live, he has put you there to be that witness to your neighbour. He has put you in your workplace because God has a purpose for your life. I hope you know that. I hope you understand that whatever part of life you're at, God has you there for a purpose. God had a purpose for Adam and Eve. And he put them in the garden. I mean, he makes no mistakes. God knew what he was doing. That word put has the idea of rest embedded into it. This was a place for them to be. This was where they were meant to be. This was home. This was the place to put up their feet, to be at rest. It was made for them. This was the place where they would work. And we'll see that in verse 15 as well. But it it was the place where they were meant to be. God made no mistake in putting them there. It was a space for them to roam in, a true home made for them by God himself. And he provides this place place for them to live. God provides a place for humanity. But secondly, I want you to see that God provides the aesthetics and food. You know, I loved technology and design when I was at school. I remember a major focus on all our projects was often, is it aesthetically pleasing? In other words, does it look good? Now, most of my projects, I'll be honest with you, didn't really look that good. I don't really think they were that practical either. Uh, But, of course, that was the focus. That was a word that was used so often, often when we were in our technology classes. Is your project, the thing that you're working on, is it aesthetically pleasing? Does it look good? Well, God, he provided for Adam and Eve aesthetically. There were lovely things for them to look at. In the garden, he gives them as well magnificent food to eat. Different people have different personalities. Some people have that unique gift of being able to walk into a room and maybe sit in it for a while and to observe the colours that are on the wall and notice where the candles are laid out. And these people can soak it all up and remember it. Whereas if I were to visit your home... I couldn't tell you if the window was opened or closed or what colour the carpet was. I'm absent-minded, absent-minded in those things. But some people are good at noticing those things and seeing those things. They enjoy the beauty of everything around them and they soak it up. But none of us can, de- can deny if we're thinking of just Northern Ireland. None of us can deny the beauty of going along the North Coast, seeing the waves crash in. Seeing all that our God has created. None of us can deny the beauty of the Mourn Mountain. Going down there and seeing those magnificent mountains. I wonder if you ever climbed one of them and just looked around you. It's stunning. Absolutely stunning. And that's when you say, oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder. Consider all the works thy hands have made. And that's in our country alone. And it's aesthetically pleasing. Now somewhere where you and I will definitely be paying attention to, and when we think of this, how God provides aesthetics and food, well, God has provided lots of lovely things for us to taste. 
You can tell that by the size of some of your waists. But I joke, I'm talking about me too. And I would say that we'll all agree in this, there's lots of different lovely foods that we can enjoy. Those 10,000 different tastes that we can taste with our tongue, and we want to taste them all, and there's nothing as satisfying as putting something lovely in your mouth and it melts away and it fills you with happiness and joy. That's a gift from God. Have you ever thought about that? Look at the way this garden is described in verse 9. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. That's aesthetically pleasing. And good for food. That's your case. God made everything to grow already. But in this special garden for the man and the woman, he made pretty things to look at and delicious things to eat. And that's not something to take for granted. That's just another demonstration of how kind and how good God is. He doesn't just give you your daily bread. Rather, he gives you all types of things to enjoy. He gives glorious things to be enjoyed. He provides for humanity's eyes, where in creation we behold him. And he provides for their tongues. This garden was full of treats and full of delights. God provides a place for humanity. God provides aesthetically and he provides food for them but also he gives them a tree of life he provides a tree of life right there in the center look at verse 9 read it with me it said and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food and listen to this next part the tree of life also in the midst of the garden We're told in chapter 3 and verse 22 that this tree was designed to provide for people eternal life. That was the purpose in the tree of life. In other words, right in the center of the garden, right in the center of the home that God had built for this man and this woman, he provided the means to eternally sustain them. This tree of life sustained eternal life. And among the Jews, a tree of life became a phrase used a number of times. It was used at least, it's used at least four times in the book of Proverbs, and it's used to express life's best joys, life's greatest delights. And when the Jews said, that's a tree of life, they were loading something with the highest regard. There was that tree that they could enjoy that would sustain eternal life for them. This tree, it had such power and there it was in the center of the garden and once Adam and Eve sinned, once they disobeyed God's law, they had to be removed from this tree lest they would live forever in a sinful condition. Better to die and be transformed into an eternal, an eternally holy condition. Once they disobeyed God, he couldn't let them live eternally. For they had sinned against him. When are you getting the picture of what's being described here in Genesis 2? All that they need is right here. They have a place to call home. They have all these things to enjoy. They have a means by which life is going to be sustained by the tree of life. This is a catalogue of blessing upon blessing upon blessing that God gives to his image bearers. 
And then fourthly, we see that he provides sustaining rivers. Now remember the people who first heard Genesis, who were the first heard Genesis read to them, they're the people, the people of Israel who've been wandering in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. And the one thing they longed to see was a river. They wanted water. And imagine how they would have heard this vocabulary of verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it parted and became into four heads. The text speaks of four massive rivers, not one, not two, not three, but four rivers. This is the most irrigated garden that there ever was. And you have these references just sprinkled in like little bits of icing and a cake, like buckets of gold and precious stones. There's onyx stones and there's so many lovely wee things, wee details that God put in. We have this wonderful means by which the garden is irrigated and kept and maintained. And all these precious materials that were all around And all those hearers sitting in the plains of Moab, listening to Moses read and recite Genesis to them, they hear this description and their eyes are open wide. And and they hear of this land filled with water in abundance. These things that where things could be grown, where things could be sustained. And a land with all these precious stones. And this place was flourishing. This was a garden beyond their wildest dreams. And yet there's more. Yet there's more. Because in verse 15 we see that God provided work for them. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. You see that phrase, to dress it and to keep it? Those are words that appear numerous times throughout the Old Testament. Most often used to describe spiritual service. Now the word dress is better translated as the word to work. And that word work, it simply means to serve. It's most often used to describe our worship or our service that we render unto God. Well that word keep, it's often used to describe how we keep his commandments. Can I ask you? Do you have a work you do for God? Do do you serve the Lord in some way? Young men in this church, some of you have just finished Bible class last year. How are you seeking to serve God in the context of the local church? With all that God has given, you would think that working for him is the right response. These people are meant to respond to the direction of God. And they're embedded to do, they're they're enabled to do what he asks them to do. And I think the idea here in verse 15 is, yes, they were working the Garden of Eden. And that was physical work, no doubt. But were to understand that work as they were doing a service for the Lord. They were serving God by doing this. And and that's the way of doing it. They they were doing it as, as an act of worship to God. And God had given them a special place without doubt. But he also had given them a special place to work. And it was a way that they could respond to God. 
the God who they who they knew, and they, it was a way of showing God their thank, thankfulness towards Him. This wasn't speaking of a chore for them to do; it was speaking of a glorious privilege to be able to serve the God who created them, a way to express their thanks to God. I don't know if there's anyone who you know who's hard to buy presents for. Someone special to you, maybe, and you want to show them how much they mean to you, and maybe it's difficult to know what to buy them. And you really want to show them how much you love them, but you just don't know what to get them. What does God want from us? What gift can we give to him? God graciously tells us what he wants. And he gives Adam and Eve here a means by which they can express their thanks to God. He gives them a way of demonstrating their thankfulness. So good God is to them. He provides a space for humanity. He provides aesthetics. He provides food. He provides a tree of life in their midst. He provides sustaining rivers. He provides work. But this is how God shows them how they can show their thankfulness. God provides his law. And we see the first covenant. Look at verses 16 and 17. We've read them already. And the Lord God commanded the man. There's the command. This is a covenant. And the Lord God commanded the man. Saying of every tree of the garden. Thou mayest eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There is something here that they are commanded not to eat. God says, don't eat of the fruit that comes from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I think the idea here is in the name, it's, it's, it's that they have to trust and obey the directions that God gives them. And that to eat this fruit would open up a mindset of self-governance. A mindset that determined that I'll make my own moral decisions rather than simply obeying God. And that's a very dangerous thing. And we love the idea of our freedoms today, but that self-governance that would come from eating of the fruit of that tree, when it bubbles out of a sinful heart, which was the only way it would have been eaten, it leads to misgovernance. And we're made to follow the law, and the word of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here for them to follow. And when someone is allowed to embrace this sense of, I'll do my own thing, I don't need God, it leads to death, it leads to destruction, and we're going to see that in chapter 3 and chapters 4, they're going to show that to us. But the name of the tree, I think it helps us to understand something about just how complex and contradictory men and women are. They have a knowledge of both good and evil. That how someone, a woman, it can be so good, and yet at the next minute they can do such horrible things. And the law of God is one of the most wonderful provisions for us to do good. For God shows us what is good, and how to obey him. And even here in Genesis 2, before sin even enters the world, God gave law to protect his people. That's important to note. The law, this covenant was given to protect his people. 
It wasn't a punishment. It wasn't something to restrict them. It was given to protect them. Do you see described here in Genesis 2 the providing nature of God? He even gives his law to protect them. How do you feel about the law of God? How do you feel? It says a lot about yourself. Do you love his law? Do you hate his law? Do you feel restricted by his law? That tells me something about how you think about God. Or do you see God's law as something that is a good thing, a provision that God has given to keep you, to look after you, to guard your heart? The law of God is one of the most wonderful provisions our good God makes here at the very beginning. This covenant that God makes, it's one of the greatest provisions that God gives in this garden. It's to protect them and it's to give them a means of worshipping him. Yet as we know, before we even get out of the first chapters of the Bible, sin enters the world. You know, today our God is still the providing God. And for so many we take the blessings that he gives us for granted. But they come from his hand. They come from his hand because that's the heart of God. He is a giving God. He provides. He is the one who provides abundantly for you, his people. Look around you here this morning. See all that God has blessed us with here at Grange Baptist. See all that God has given to us. Because God is the God who gives to his people abundantly. He has given to us a lovely building to meet in. The provisions of technology around us. A warm church building to meet in. A country where we can even come in freedom. And sit and worship him. And hear from his word. A place where we can sing hymns together and worship as the church, the local church. He so graciously sustained this church fellowship over many, many years. And God has been good to this fellowship. He has blessed us abundantly. And if we were to list the blessings that God has even given us from the moment we opened our eyes this morning we would lose count. And it would be criminal not to recognise that God's greatest provision was the one that he gave for us in the form of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gives to his children everlasting life. Remember Adam and Eve were removed from the tree of life they had sent. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, that eternal life is restored unto us. How lovely that thought is. You know, you could think of the story in Luke chapter 15 of the lost son. That sinful lost son 
And he returns and the father sees him far away and he runs down the road and he, and he throws his arms around him and immediately asks for a ring to be put on his son's finger and sandals to be put on his feet and a cloak to be wrapped around him and the fatted calf is to be slaughtered because that which was lost had been found. And God, even though we're so undeserving, continues to give lavishly to us. We are so undeserving, but God gives to us freely. You think of what he's promised you, Christian, after you die. It's beyond our comprehension. You know, I learned this during the week, and I thought this was an amazing thought. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew but after the Lord Jesus or before the Lord Jesus came into the world it was all translated into Greek and the Greek version of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 it it translates the word Eden the Garden of Eden as paradise and the word is used once just once in the New Testament in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43 When the Lord Jesus is hanging on the cross and he speaks to the thief beside him and he uses that word, that word paradise, that that word Eden. And he says to the thief, verily, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in, here it is, paradise. The good news of the gospel is that we, if we're trusting in Christ, get to return to Eden, paradise, to this place crafted by God but what makes paradise paradise it's not just that it's beautiful and wonderful and all that there but it's because the transcendent almighty personal God is there and will be with him for all eternity so it begs for me to ask the ultimate question today to all who are gathered Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour? Are you heading for heaven? Paradise. This new heaven and earth that he will create one day or will be forevermore. Are you headed there? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that there's a place in heaven for you? Because the Lord Jesus Christ went and he paid the price for sin. Adam and Eve sinned. They they were cast out of the garden. We'll see that in the coming weeks. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one, came and took the punishment for your sin. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And in his glorious provision, he asks you to give your all for him. Every part of your life. I speak to you too, the child of God today. Maybe you're saved. But you know there's some part of your life that you've been withholding from God for a long time. The God who so lavishly gives everything to us. You can see his provision in these verses today. Maybe in these closing moments of our service today, in these quiet moments as we close. Maybe you just need to say to the Lord again, I surrender all to Jesus 
I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. For some of us, all of us at times, but really as we sing the refrain of that hymn should be singing, I surrender some. But here's the God who has given everything, provided so graciously for us. And let's make it our prayer today as we meet with God that we'll be saying to him and living this out, I surrender.